Um, welcome back again, everyone. Uh, we're going to keep exploring this topic of uh, finding our identity in Christ. I'm calling the sermon series, Who Am I? Uh, and so last year, when I was researching for this, uh, I'll, I'll openly confess I'm a bit of a planaholic, and I found that it works pretty easy uh, for everybody else's planning. If I can line up all the Bible verses for the year ahead, so the musicians know what to go with, and uh, worship leaders know what to go with. So last year, uh, last summer, I was planning this out, and I kind of this is kind of a series I'd wanted to do for a while, and... Um, uh, so I got to, so I Googled it to research it, and uh, I typed in the words Christian identity. I thought I'd get resources on Christian identity, so I typed it in. And um, you may notice I'm not calling the sermon series Christian identity, because the first thing that popped up on Google was the Southern Poverty Law Center list of hate groups. There's a hate group called Christian identity. And I was like, oh. And they, there's even hashtags on Instagram. Uh, it's, it's really, really ugly stuff. Uh, so I looked at it and I was like, are oh, you jerks? Jerks wasn't the word that came to my mind. And I'm like, you stole a good phrase for your hate. And this is the state of the world today, right? There are people out there, they, this, parent, this group is out there. You know, they think they're some sort of master race. They think Jesus somehow supports their hate. They think that they are the real America, and ugh, I'm like, hell no. I guess I said hell. I won't apologize for that one. All right, but it's out there, right? It's out there. And it's another example of people misusing that word Christian in such a way that sometimes I'm not sure I want to identify with it, depending on who I'm with or what the context is. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Jesus Christ. And I'm not ashamed of Jesus, even if I don't repost all the I'm not ashamed of Jesus posts on Facebook. It's just that that word Christian sometimes comes so loaded with so many bad associations that I don't like to lead with it. And then have to spend the next half hour going through a catalog of all the stuff I don't agree with. And say, well, I don't believe in that and that and that. I know you think it's this, but those aren't things I believe in. And so I end up sitting there going, yes, yes, I do love Jesus. No, I don't hate gays or think they have to pray it all away or something like that. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm not against trans kids or, you know, I don't deny science or think it's all a hoax or that the world was made in 6,000 BC and there's no evolution and on and on and on. You know, and yes, I understand there's not a literal Eve and if there was, she wouldn't have had a belly button like that Renaissance painting. But because there's so much that you run into like that, where that word just almost triggers a visceral reaction in some people. And so instead I'll say something like, I'm a Lutheran. I figure that's maybe a little bit less, carries less association. And then inevitably I'll run into somebody who'll go, you're a Lutheran, right? I got that uncle, he goes to that Lutheran church. They don't let women vote. And they give you a tag when you come in the door to make sure you're not, if you're not one of them, because they won't give you communion. And they won't let women talk. What was it? The Lutherans are stuck in the dark ages? I'm like, no, okay, okay. I'm not that kind of Lutheran. Here we go again. I don't believe, I don't believe, I don't believe. And, um, you know. But part of what I see 
in Christianity in America today is this huge anxiety. There's a huge anxiety about moving from being at the center of the culture to being at the margin of the culture. You know, Christians used to be the majority in the country. By identification, we still are, but if you actually measure who actually goes to church, it's a minority. And if you go to people like under 30, it's like 15% or something. It's really low. And so we used to be the norm. We used to be what you kind of thought everybody more or less was, and there was no shame or stigma attached to the label. You probably got more shame for not being a Christian than you did for identifying as one. And uh, now that's all flipped, right? Now we're kind of the minority. We're being criticized all the time. The media is loving to pump on YouTube every wackadoodle they can find. And, uh, and so you're living with this, and it's a struggle to figure out what do we do about this? How do we proclaim the Jesus we know in the midst of all that white noise? And if you want to put it maybe in other terms, for some people that word Christian has, has gone from normal to kind of icky. It's kind of an icky word. It has icky associations. They see it as backwards, uptight, sexist, stuck in, you know, uh, hating science and stuck in the dark ages and, and uh, more concerned with life after death than the problems of the world today. And you know what? There are people who fit that bill. They do exist. And so they kind of see becoming a Christian as stepping backwards, stepping back into a darker past. I'll give you this quote. It really struck me when I read it. It's from an, a Chinese-Australian Christian named Sam Chan. Chang. Uh, he talks about, in his book, he writes about well, his theory for why he thinks Christianity is growing faster in Asia than in the West. And it's a little bit long, but I'll read it. I, I don't usually go deep into quotes, but I couldn't word it better than he did. So I'll just give you his words. He says, Caucasian Westerners in the USA and other Western countries are proving to be hard soil for evangelism. Why is this? There are many reasons, but I think one reason is that the gospel completes the storyline of Asian living in the West. It offers freedom from superstitious rituals. It offers freedom from the fear of evil spirits. And it offers a better way to find status, honor, and success. By and large, life works better if you become a Christian. In contrast, for the Caucasian Westerner, Christianity represents the loss of freedom. It represents captivity to superstitious rituals, fear of God and priests, and the never-ending need to go to church and obey out-of-date commands about sex. By and large, life is worse if you become a Christian. They compare the life of a Western Christian with a Western non-Christian. To them, the non-Christians are free of superstitious rituals, fear of God and priests, and the never-ending need to go to church and obey out-of-date commands. The non-Christians get to sleep in on Sunday. They could come to the late service. But... To the Caucasian Westerner, Christianity represents the opposite of what it represents to an Asian. I believe, whether we've realized it or not, that the perception is that they will be less free with Jesus. Interesting insight. It's seen as stepping out of freedom and enlightenment and into the dark ages. But that's not how it was. 
In fact, in early Christianity, the perception was very much the opposite. Let me read our verse for today. 1 Peter 2 will illuminate some of this. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you are now a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, in this sermon series that I'm titling, Finding My Identity in Christ, or Finding Your Identity in Christ, we're, we're looking at what, today we're looking at what it means to be a royal priesthood. I am a part of a royal priesthood. But what does that mean? This is another one of those kind of churchy phrases that probably doesn't mean a lot if you're on the street, right? I mean, we don't have kings, and, you know, we, we, we don't have a royal priesthood. The closest you might ever go is if you're, I suppose, watching a royal wedding or funeral in England, and the Bishop of Canterbury comes out. I suppose he'd be the closest we have to a royal priest, but that's still not in America. And... Um, so, but how to unpack this? Priests in the Old Testament, uh, priests in the Old Testament, and even into Jesus' time, through inheritance. It was an inherited position. You were either a descendant, a biological descendant of Aaron, who was Moses' brother, so you were an Aaronic priest, is what they'd call it, or you were a descendant of Levi. Levi was one of Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoats brothers. That's his official biblical name, right? And um, so it was one of Joseph's brothers, one of the 12 tribes. So you're descended from Aaron, you're descended from Levi. It was an inheritance. You were born into it. And the inheritance was a gift from God, just as the land was a gift for God for Manasseh and Benjamin and Judah and those tribes. So, well, and so, and they had duties. If you're a priest, you had duties that came with it. They did the rituals of the temple. And, you know, they had to keep it clean, they had to take care of it, they had to maintain it, they did the animal sacrifices, they were also versed in scripture, they inspected people for ritual purity, so, for example, if someone got sick and had to leave the community for 14 days, they'd have to meet with the priest to come back in, to sort of get certified. They had a very important role in the community, they had a very important role among the people, they were the spiritual caretakers. And, but by the time the book of 1 Peter gets written, the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Romans, and the priests were either killed or they scattered. And the Christians at this point weren't really allowed to participate in those sacrifices anyways, so they were without priests, they were without caretakers, they were without that, that traditional uh, person who would stand between you and God and help be your bridge. And so the writer of 1 Peter says, Wait, wait. That doesn't mean the priesthood is gone. It's just changed. Instead of the sons of Aaron and the sons of Levi getting it, you all have it. You're all the priests. All you Christians. All you followers of Jesus. You, you may have been Greeks or Romans or Vikings or whatever in your past, you may have been outcasts in society, and you may not have belonged in the old order, but now you are God's people. And God still loves the Jewish people. They're still the chosen people. They still have that first place 
that special place, but now you've kind of been grafted on as God's people, as a royal priesthood. And you don't get robes, and you don't do animal sacrifices, but you do have a responsibility that comes with it. You're the spiritual caretakers of those around you. You're in charge of uplifting their spiritual lives, of showing people God's word, of giving them forgiveness, of sharing the scriptures. You get that role with your neighbors. You are now the royal priesthood. And where before you might not have been seen that by, as that useful or that important in society, now you are chosen by God to deliver his message. And so you say, well, okay, uh, I, I, I'm not a trained pastor or whatever. Uh, what message am I supposed to say? And it says, the writer of 1 Peter says, tell them how God has brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Proclaim how God made your life better, more free, more beautiful, more awesome. Proclaim how God has changed your life and lifted you from the burdens that you had. Proclaim how God has opened your eyes and how you've experienced love and forgiveness and how your experience of faith has not been the dark ages, but an, an opening and an enlightenment. Proclaim that stuff. That's why we're here. First Peter doesn't say, expound a systematic theology. Just say how God's made your life more free. God has brought me out of darkness into light, not the other way around. I wouldn't be here if that was the way. God opened my eyes and heart to be more loving. I think he still challenges me on that, convicts me often when I'm not, pushes me to be more caring and self-sacrificing, less judgmental, less rigid. God has opened my eyes to experiences that I can't put in words and truths that go beyond what I, I can maybe normally measure, not because God is against science or evolution, but because God opens us up to a whole bigger world. God has brought us out of the darkness and into the light. We are a royal priesthood. God's chosen. And our job is to be the light, not the darkness. In a world that sees the word Christian as often meaning a step back into a darker time where you check your mind, we need to be the light, to be that royal priesthood, the caretakers and forgivers and teachers of our neighbors in the community because the problem isn't so much people not believing that God exists as much as it's not wanting to leave what they see as the Enlightenment and step back into some darker age. And I don't blame them. Because if that's what it means by Christians, if it's that icky stuff, I wouldn't do it either. But if it's to step into light, into a community of forgiveness and openness and acceptance and love, then that's bringing me into light. That's making my life better and more free. And we all believe it, and we know that for ourselves. It's why we're here, right? We just have to proclaim that message, to bring light out of darkness as God brought us, to forgive and to teach and to care, to be the royal priesthood that they talk about in 2 Peter. Amen.